So in the first five chapters, Paul went through very detailed about, uh, about everybody's problem. And we all have the same problem. We have the, the sin problem. And he goes, you know, dissecting it into the, the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, at least the Gentiles for now. And, and then, uh, yeah, but it also applies, you know, to the Jews. You're, you're no better. You're in the same boat. You need Jesus. And he goes through that and how we are saved uh, by Christ. And he, each chapter, he goes into some depth or some detail, making a point. And I think that's important to, to remember when you get into a section, which we are divided into chapters, Paul's making a certain point there. And if we try to take that to another level beyond the point that he's making, sometimes it doesn't make sense with all the little details. I'll say, for instance, he talks about the, uh, well, in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms. I'm speaking in human terms. Well, aren't, isn't all of it in human terms? I think his analogy, talking about the slave. Now, does it, does it pan out to every detail of a slave? I mean, can you, can you dissect that down and say, well, you know, the way they arrived at slavery, they kidnap people, and therefore I was kidnapped into Christ. You know, does it fit every mind? No. He's saying, I'm, I'm speaking to you in human terms to give you something that you can understand how this, how this works. And in this chapter, he's going to be talking about a specific point. The next chapter, he's making another point. And sometimes those details are related to that point, but we can't use them like universal laws or rules from from all of that. So he goes through those chapters and saying we're saved by Christ, we're saved by trust in him, by grace, uh, being a free gift of God, being a, is that redundant? A free gift? I'm going to give you a gift. Okay, I'm going to give you a free gift. Wait a minute, you just said it was a gift. Okay, so it is the, it is the gift of God. Uh, this this grace and how that all were under sin and that and that through Jesus all can be saved but not everybody accepts that and he goes through some of that as well and then there's obviously this balance of uh, of the the grace and the trust and what that reaction to that is what we do in response to us trusting in God. So what is the difference in verse 1 and verse 15? Let's look at those two as we start. We'll just do some overview stuff for this chapter. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? That's, that's verse 1. Verse 15. What then? Here's the other argument thing. Well, you may say this. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the under law, but under grace? Do you, is there a difference between those, or is he just repeating himself? What's the difference between verse 1 and verse 15? We continue in sin, that grace may abound, or shall we sin because we're under grace? Over here, Josh. 
<clears throat> or are they saying the exact same thing? He's just, he's just driving home the point and repeating it. Yeah, Bob. I think you're saying the same thing from two different viewpoints. Meaning? Meaning, the, in, in the first uh, verse, uh, the emphasis was on uh, grace. And so he said, what we shall we say then? Shall we sin so that grace may abound? We get more grace, is what he's saying there. Then down in verse 15, uh, what then? Are we to sin? Because we're not under the law. The first one, the emphasis is on grace and the impact it has on what we sin. The second section is on the impact of law. Okay, since we don't have a law, then we can just sin all we want. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think you're I think you're right. One is one is saying can we sin because grace will cover it? And the other one is saying, shouldn't we sin more? Because the more you sin, the more that magnifies God's grace and how he's, he's you know he's given grace. You know what? If you don't sin at all, God, God won't have any opportunity to show you grace. So let's sin more so that God can be glorified and show more and more grace. So that's kind of the verse one. And then of verse 15 is just saying, well, if there is, you know, if there is no law and the grace covers it, you know, then is it okay to sin? So it's kind of two different angles of that. Other thoughts? The, the law was not meant for us to keep it because God knew we couldn't keep it. It showed for sure that you can't. It does. It points out our sin. That's how grace covers us because God knows that we can't keep all his laws. Okay, so. Right, and that's what Paul's driving home through here. It's like you, you can't keep it. You can't do it perfectly, and you need this grace. You need Christ to cover that. All right, so another question. What's the difference? What's the difference between a good person and a Christian? Let's say you take two people. Not just two people, but they're twins. Okay? <laughs> and they even, you know, they do everything the same. Let's, I mean, they do everything the same. But one of them is a Christian and one's not. What's What's the difference then between uh, a good person and a Christian? What's the difference between those two people? Yeah, Beth? In their relationship with God. The relationship with God. Having the forgiveness of God. Being, having access to His grace. Okay. Um, Restoration. After Adam, there was a need for restoration. Okay.
there's that relationship. So a good person, do they truly have a relationship with God? That's not for us to answer. That's with God. Right. Okay. So there's a lot of things you mentioned there. And I think they all fall under, there might be a bigger heading, but you're exactly right. There's, there's a relationship difference between these two people. They can do the same thing. In fact, they could both come to church. They could both pray. They could both do all these things. But there's something in the basics that, that is different in that. Boy, what would you say? The rich young ruler was a good man. But the best example, I think, in the Bible is Acts 10. Cornelius was described uh, as a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, gave many alms to the Jewish people, prayed to God continually. And then the three men that came to Peter described him this way he's a centurion, a righteous and God fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. When Peter went to his house, his household was filled with good people. Right. But uh, they were not Christians. Right. But what Peter taught them helped them to understand and to obey. Exactly. Very good. I think what's, what's hard for us to understand is that there's no one who is good. In chapter 3 it says no one is righteous, not even one. Um, no one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. Um, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. The only goodness that we have was given to us through Christ. Right. That's what I would say. Okay. Other thoughts? Brett, you got something to say? No? Okay. I mean, you just had it on your face that it's like... <laughs> Anybody else? I'll let Bob say it. Bob, right here? You got it? No, I'm stretching. Okay. <laughs> I'm not touching I'm going to keep pointing at people until somebody... Josh. <laughs> Right. So who is, let me ask you, who is their master? Themselves. Themselves, yep. And Paul would call that here in chapter 6, sin is their master. They're still, they can do the exact same thing, but they still, the master is sin. And he turns that around and says, you need to master the sin. You need to be slaves to a the one that can actually take care of that. So it is a, it's an interesting thing and, it, and it's, I, I think you can see how it's interesting to think about that. What's the difference between a Christian and a good person? Well, it's, it's who we're it's, it's who we're owed to or who we, you know, give our, our allegiance to. Yes. And we always talk about that balance, you know, having more good things than bad. I mean, if we just keep trying to pile on good things to the exclusion of bad things, there is a tipping point. There is that, well, now I've had too many bad things and not enough good things, and, you know, then we're on that teetering fence of, am I saved or not saved? And it's, it's, a, it's always a works-based initiative, 
and it's it's not a fun place to be where right. by the grace of God we are forgiven of our sins and that is taken away it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. Exactly. Right here. Other Brad. Okay, good. I knew you did, you just didn't know it yet. Right. It was still forming. I think um, this the, the our difficulty to answer that question I think kind of highlights that we tend to think in a workspace um, frame of mind. Like we think if I'm doing all the right things, then I am a Christian. Um, but I think the one difference between a good person and a Christian is the Christian realizes they're not and the Christian, instead of saying, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there, says, I'm a sinner and I need mercy and grace. Exactly. And so I think um, a good person probably recognizes they're good. And they do, they do that for themselves. But yeah, I think it highlights our need to humble ourselves so we can be Right. I think that's what Paul's doing. It's like, I need you to see that you are bad. I need to see, I need you to see that there's a problem. So you'll, you'll want the, 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 the cure. I mean, I don't need a cure right now for uh, whatever, acne. You know, uh, but I don't really need that cure. If you were selling acne, uh, not interested, not interested in your cure. But if you convince me, man, you've got pimples all over your face. If you could convince me, okay, I'll, I'll buy it. You know? So we have to be convinced that we need Jesus. I would go along with that and say it's the intentionalness of it. As a Christian, we're doing it because we have that direction, that purpose through Christ, and we are doing it on purpose. Whereas the good person, quote unquote, is doing it maybe intentionally, but they might not be a good person and doing things for people, but they don't have that direction. Right. Right. I think I think that comes back to the master thing. Who is the master, and why are we, and why are we doing that? You got, yes? Uh, we use the word, Christians use the word sacrifice a lot. Sacrifice, okay. Jesus sacrificed for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And someone truly in love with Jesus will sacrifice their life for him. Okay, that, that's a good point, and that is true. It is possible that somebody that's not a Christian could do that. It's possible. Well, I mean, if it's possible, they would sacrifice for someone else. But it's possible that they could be sacrificial. I see yes. your, I see your point. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that's what it says. That's exactly right. I mean, in terms of sacrifice, I mean, doing things in sacrifice of our lives for Jesus. Okay, I think, uh, yeah. For me to be a good good person, nobody else is going to know this, is for me not to eat the candy bar, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's really hard. And (laughs) probably I'll go ahead and eat it, but that's a true sacrifice. Okay. It goes back again to the master thing, if that's... 
if that's what the math, we're wanting to do what the master wants us to do. And our, is our master ourselves? Yeah. Or sin? Exactly. Or is it, or is it Jesus? So let's look, chapter 6. Uh, let's read the first oh, part of this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? I'll stop right there. All right, I'll, let me interrupt myself. Uh, that's referring back to verse 20 of the previous chapter, right? And the law came in that transgression might increase. Okay, the law came that transgression might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased even more. So it abounded even more. So grace was always above the sin. And when sin increased up to here, well, grace went even, even farther than that. So then he's saying, okay, so some of you are thinking the logical conclusion to that is maybe we ought to send more so that grace will go even higher. And he's like, no, you're, you're, missing, you're missing the point if that's the way you interpret this. Verse 2, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's an obvious comparison here to Jesus. What are the, what are the items that relate? How, how, do, how do they relate? Jesus, of course, died. His body died. How about us? You know, he's making these comparisons, but you guys are all still alive. What, how, how, how are we going to, how, what does each one of the, of the actions or the things that Christ did compare and in what way to us? As living now. So, Carrie. Okay. If we are to be like him, we die to sin in him. He was raised, his body was raised in the resurrection. We are raised from the baptism, from dying to sin, to live a new life. Okay. So we got the death, and then ours is dying to something. And then the resurrection, and we're raised to a new life in, in this. There's also the, what other, the burial. And are we buried? Does it say we're buried? Yep, so we die and we're buried. 
and resurrected as a new person in, in Christ. Um, so it, it is, this is interesting, this passage, it talks about this baptism thing. And this isn't a passage where he's talking to sinners and saying, you need to be baptized, right? It's not the way he's, he's using it here. How, how would you say that he's using that here? Kind of a, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I think, you have been. You, you that are in Christ, and I, this is probably the most compelling passage that you can look at for baptism, isn't it? He's saying, you people that are Christians, you, you know how you got there, don't you? Well, yeah, you, you remember you were baptized into Christ? That's how you got there. He didn't say, now, those of you that are in Christ, now, I'm not sure how some of you got there, but some of you were baptized when you got into Christ, right? You, you remember that? No, it was like a given. He wasn't even, he wasn't even questioned. He's like, yeah, some of you said a prayer, some of you did this, some of you did that. He said, you remember how you got in there, right? You were, and the word, of course, is immersion. You were immersed. You were immersed. And that raised up in a new life in Christ. That's how you got there. So there are, there's another passage that does a similar thing in Galatians, and, and it uses that same type that way. It's like, as a matter of fact, that's how you became into Christ. So that was the burial part. So we're following Christ's example, going through his life, death, burial, resurrection. Uh, Tommy? Yes, Chris, in Titus 25, baptism is connected with God's grace. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which he did, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, the Washington generation Baptist. Right. We specifically denies that that is on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness. In the whole context, it's emphasized in verse 4 when the kindness and love of God are sacred and His love for mankind. <coughs> Baptism is part of salvation by grace. In Galatians 3, Paul makes the long argument that we're not justified by works of the law, but we're justified by faith. And then in Galatians 3, 26 27, when he closes, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so when he talks about works versus faith, he puts baptism Okay. Yeah, so we have that. I mean, we all, one of the things, you look at, look at uh, Romans and some people say, well, you know, Romans was written to combat communism or something. I was like, I don't, I don't think Paul had that in mind when he was writing Romans because uh, that was a little predated. But that's not even his thought. He's not even thinking about that. But when we have people that look at that and say, oh, well, we're saved by, you know, grace only, or we're saved by faith only, or those types of things, they don't even understand what that is. Because Paul is very clear here in, in those types of things. It's like that faith includes something, not just sitting down and, okay, I got faith. 
you know, and even that, isn't that an action? I mean, you have to <laughs> mentally think about it or something, but to say that we don't have to do anything, it's just, it's just quite faithful. Go ahead. Um, another passage similar that comes to mind is Ezekiel 36. Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to be born again, uh, water and spirit. Um, and uh, Ezekiel 36 says that God's going to take us out of the nations and bring us back from every country to our, the land that he has for us. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from, your, from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So I think part of that um, death, burial, and resurrection is receiving a spirit from God that makes us a desire to do His will. Right. So I've probably made this point, but I'll make it again. Uh, I like this one. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like the marriage relationship. What motivates you to obey the laws of marriage? You know, what motivates you to obey the laws of best friends? Yeah, it's my best friend, and, you know, to be best friends, I have to think about what they want, and I have to, you know, be nice to them, and, I have, and what are the other rules of friendship? I need to check those because I got this friend that I want to uh, be friends with, and I need to know what those laws are. If you do that, you will do you will do those things, right? But if you are governed by the love of the friend, or the spouse, or the savior, what will you do? Will you do those things? Yes, because you love them and you will be much, much better at doing those than the person that's trying to check them off and do them because they're on the rule book. You have a, you have a, a marriage rule book. You, have the, you keep, that, keep that in your pocket and you're going along and you drive in and the wife says, you know, I'm getting kind of hungry. What should I do? You know, when, when the spouse says that, they're getting hungry. What what good husband rules? But if you but if you love the person, it's like, well, wonder what I could do about that. What can I do to help that situation and, and make them love me and do the best for them? And when Jesus is your savior and you love him, and it's like I would like to do everything I can for that savior. Oh. Going along with what you said before. I thought you were going to tell us where to get the husband rule book. Oh, you're reading it? Okay, there you go. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Going along with what you said before about, uh, you know, it's not posing questions. Did you do this or did you do that? Uh, but the questions they're asking are actually contrary to what they know. How many times is we know found in this, in this chapter 7. And he's always pointing out, you know this, you know that we were baptized in Christ. So that's inclusive, all inclusive. Right. And, and there's so many other we know statements within here that point out, you know this to be a fact. Why are you thinking about this other stuff? Right. 
Yes, there, that is a good point. There are several, if you look through there, you know, we, you know this, we know this, and that's not fitting very well with what you're arguing or what you're trying to do. So go with what you know and, and apply that in this situation. Other thoughts, comments on that? So when you think about how to get into a relationship, regardless of what kind of relationship that is, if you're going to get into it, there are certain things you would do to get into that relationship, right? So, you know, you might, you might, you might take her out to dinner, you know, starting a, a relationship, a friendship, whatever that might be. Once you're in that relationship, what do you do? I've arrived. <laughs> I'm done. Don't, you don't have to take it out anymore, ever. <laughs> is that, does that make any sense? There are many things about the relationship that are the same, many things that are the same to maintain that relationship as they are to get into it. Does that make sense? They're not identical in every way, but there's a lot of things that are the same. knowing the other part, knowing the other side of the relationship, knowing that they have your best interest in mind, helps in our part in that relationship as well. And going beyond just the rules or the minimums, if you will. Do you ever look at the minimums? It's like, yeah, what's the minimum I have to do so that Dave will keep loving me? It's like, uh, well, probably ought to do this. It's like, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have to do, go this far. Yeah, thinking of those terms really helped me to understand like, why certain doctrinal errors are problems. It's, it's not just that you don't believe the right series of formulas, but it, it's really a, a relationship dysfunction that you have with God. Um, so, you know, you imagine you're talking to someone in a, in a marriage and they're just, you know, petrified exactly right and a lot of times the issue when you're dealing with let's say we're dealing with one another dealing with Christians a lot of times the issue what we'll call the issue is not the issue 
right? So if, if you're having a, if your issue is the thing that I'm seeing is, well, their attendance, I mean, they're just not showing up. And it's like, so you need to show up. It says you need to attend and you need to be here and you need to, you need to come to services and, and we could pound on that all day long. Is that an issue? Probably not. That's what Ryan's just saying. There, let's, let's, let's look at the heart issue. It's not a, it's not a you're, just, you're just missing this one law and you need to keep that better. The issue is, why, why are you not loving the one who saved you in a way that is being displayed to your brothers and sisters? That's coming from a different place than the heart, or it's coming from the heart. Other thoughts? So going through this, obviously he's saying you're no longer of Adam. You're no longer the man, problem, sin. You're now of Christ. And you've been uh, buried in that. You've, been, you've died to the, to the earthly, physical, man, uh, sin reigning. And now you're living a new life. Um, so in the first part of this chapter... Uh, I cannot read my scratches here for a second. Uh, it kind of switches after the first half of the chapter. It goes into the, uh, the latter part, talking about being enslaved to righteousness. So this, this section or this chapter, as we'll break it down, he kind of talks in chapter 5 about uh, you're under... Death. I mean, that's what's what's uh, was in charge, and you're being freed from death. In this chapter, he's talking about you're being freed from sin. In the next chapter, he's going to be talk about being freed from the law. So there's different points in each of these that he's specifically zeroing in on. He says we're we're not. We're no longer in the flesh. We're no longer of the flesh. So don't live like that. So don't live in the flesh. And it's a difficult concept. Because are you saved? <clears throat> yes. Oh, well, good. Then we're done, right? Uh, are you going to be saved when you die? Well, that's a future concept of that. It's kind of like that, you know, all, already not yet type thing. Yes, we're saved, but we're living to be saved. Is that, I don't, and it's difficult to describe or to define, but, but absolutely there's a two-part to that. Presenting our bodies to God, 
ourselves up to God. We are loving Him so much. We are trusting Him so much that we are giving our bodies up to God. And what we do from then on is not us. It is, it is God working within us. And if we realize that it's not anything about us, it's God. Uh, that's, to me, where this is the my language is Very good. Other thoughts? Right up here, Brad. <clears throat> yeah. The thing that I keep thinking about is we, once we're baptized into Christ, that puts us in Christ, and we're told to begin in Christ. <coughs> and so when we, when we are baptized, the, it says the old man is dead, and the new man arise. So you leave that world buried. So, but oftentimes I think we, when we come up in Christ, we end it there. But we're told in Colossians that Christ in you is the hope of glory. So I think us being in Christ and then Christ in us is where faith and works meets. And from that point on, we're one entity with Christ, one body with Christ. And the more we mature in that, the more our image reflects the image of Christ. Right. This chapter talks a lot about identification, I think is what Paul's saying. Let's identify who you are, what you are, what that looks like. You're in Christ. And not only that, Christ is in you. Which I really see that as that relationship thing. It's not a, you know, you know, Christ is kind of real standoffish and it's like, you know, I'm trying to be in Christ and, you know, and he's, he's like checking me out and hey, we'll, we'll see. No, there's, there's that, that relationship that really brings those two together. But this is the uh, identification. It's not, it's not just a relabeling. Yep, I was baptized and I came back up and now I can do everything I did. I'm the same you know, as I was, but I got a new label. Kind of like the difference between the good person and the Christian. What's the difference? Well, one of them has a label now. You know, he's a Christian. No, he's got a different master now is what the, is what the difference is. He's got a lot of things that are, that are different, even if they act the same. Not just relabeled. Uh, in verse, uh, let me go ahead. Any other comments right on that? Read on from there, starting in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting its bodies, the members of your body, as to sin, as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, resulting in death, or of disobedience, resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, result, resulting in further lawlessness, 
So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were, were you deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's talk, he makes a uh, contrast, the, or when, he, when he talks about being slaves in verse 16, do you not know that when you present your bodies <clears throat> to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. You're either slaves of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness, which he's talked about in the previous chapters, talking about Abraham and all of that, uh, resulting in that righteousness. And then he goes on in... Verse 20, or verse 19. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity or, or sin uh, and to lawlessness, and that resulted in further lawlessness. So you presented yourselves to lawlessness and it resulted in more lawlessness. So then he turns that around and says, present your members as slaves to righteousness and that will result in what? More righteousness? No, that's not what he said. <laughs> so he, he breaks the comparison here. The lawlessness resulted in more lawlessness. But present yourselves members, your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification, in holiness. So the sin can result in more sin, but it, which is the death, but the righteousness result in holiness and becoming, what is holiness? Like God. We can become sanctified in that. Thoughts? Comments? Yeah. Ryan? I think the idea there is that you don't need more righteousness by serving uh, making yourself slave to righteousness. God's already made you righteous. Sanctification is still ongoing, but uh, you're justified. Yeah, it's like it, it doesn't result in more of that. It can't, you can't get more of that. It's already there. Yeah, Roy? Just so this is a, I was thinking about the passage that Tommy quoted times two or three or five. I think sometimes we think baptism, we just think we receive forgiveness of sins. But that verse says we receive washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Our spirit has life imparted to it at that point. It, it, it's done with pure heart. Right. But I think get so stuck on forgiveness of sin, forgiveness of sin, it's much more. It's a new birth. It's probably not the only thing we get to do that with, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of acts that we, we, we start worshiping the bronze serpent. 
you know, the, the act itself, and well, it does this, and, and, and that's it. Uh, I, I mean, this is a difficult, it's a difficult concept, the whole, the whole thing. And we want to break it down and really make it easy and, and put it into a, uh, you know, a step here and, and, a, and a rule here. And I feel a lot better about that if I can keep that rule. But I am dealing with a relationship with the Creator and the Savior and trying to do what I can to please Him and, and further that relationship. Did I have another comment? Yeah, go ahead. Please. Would that be a word? This is a hypothetical. Paul saying, uh, here's, here's some of the things I hear or some of the things you might come up with. But that's way off. That's not what I'm saying at all. And that's not negating chapters 4 and 5 at all. He's just saying, look, you already know, as Bob mentioned, he says, you know this. So that can't be the, that can't be the answer to this. You can't just go on sinning. That's not what I'm saying. That's the point he's making in this chapter. Keep that in mind and how he uses those and, and not try to take these human terms and make more out of it than, than what he's saying. Yeah, go ahead, Bob. Yeah, he's not pointing out this to one group in the next section to another group because he's already told them, you're all in the same You're all in the same group. You've all seen You're in the same group. But he is uh, emphasizing that it's not grace alone. You know, grace is important. Grace is a big piece of it. But sin is the other part that we've got to get rid of. Exactly. And you saw Jesus died for sin, to sin, and was raised to live for God. We are to imitate Him. So we too are to die to sin and live for God. And, and don't try to go back into this other. Why would you ever want to go back into that? 
And another, another uh, illustration, I mean, that God made and used perfectly was the Israelites taking them out of Egypt, getting out of that wicked, that, that bad situation and delivering them. And then what did they want to do? They wanted to go back. They want to go back in there. And that's what Paul keeps addressing here as well. Quit that. Don't go back into that. All right. Thank you very much.